This is Anyone Can Do a Welcome. I'd like to start off with an acknowledgement of country. Bayaju Budri, Darugu, Giyura, Giyura, Nurabarang. Bayaju Budri, Darugu, Warangad, Giyuragu, Barani, Yagu, Baribugu. Bayaju Budri, Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander, Giyuragu, Nura, Vimogu. I speak well of the Darug people, the people belonging to country. I speak well of the old ones, past, present, and the future people. I speak well of all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and their homelands. What are me? Welcome back for episode four of Anyone Can Do a Welcome. Naya Gyara Nisa Buruburongul Daruk Jin, Naya Marangorabarang Daruk Nurwa. So I'm a Nisa Buruburongul woman from the Richmond area on Daruk country. So last episode, I talked about our Daruk Dalung informants, what's happening with Lizard Rock and Durubang, and finally the latest non-Daruk welcome to country on Daruk Nura. So this week, I'm going to start with Daruk history, uh, history of our people, but also of things that have happened on Daruk Nura, talk about Captain Cook Death Day that's coming up, and the latest non-Daruk welcome to country on Daruk Nura. So last episode, um, I did touch on bits and pieces of Lizard Rock and Durabang. Now, the point of this is to, to make everyone aware of what's going on all over Darugnura. This is uh, information gleaned from many, many sources that if you did a Google search, you'd find them anyway. But this is to give Mob a clear understanding of, of, of what's going on in our country. Um, because sometimes we, we sit in one space and we don't look out around us. You know, we fixate on those things and we don't know that some of our, our brothers and sisters in the other clans are having same, same problems um, with other groups and other lands councils. So it's really important that we as Darugiura become very aware of what's happening across our country. So today we're going to talk about uh, the Battle of Richmond Hill that occurred in um, between May and June of 1795. This is seven years after invasion, folks. This battle is one of the first to be recorded between Darug and the invaders along Durabang. Now, shout out to Dr. Bronwyn Carlson at Macquarie Uni, who's done this amazing article for the conversation on the um, battle itself, which is where I get my information from. So to directly quote Prof, the land belongs to the Darug people and the arrival of more than 400 settlers in the area in 1794 resulted in numerous crimes, including the destruction of native food sources, stealing Darug children to work as unpaid labour and holding them against their will, the murder of Darug people and even the torture of a Darug child. So Darug, how do they respond? Ah, well, they respond by killing colonisers, raiding farms and taking corn, which had been planted over the top of the native yams, destroying so much 
of our land care management in that space in a very short amount of time. Now, this fellow called Reverend F. Palmer, he wrote at the time about this. The natives of the Hawkesbury lived on the wild yams on the banks. Cultivation is rooted out these. And poverty compelled them to steal Indian corn to support nature. The unfeeling, I'm sorry, the unfeeling settlers resented this by unparalleled severities. So I'm just going to restate that or go over that quote. Palmer's talking about the fact that they've done exactly that. They have destroyed what was organically grown there forever and added Indian corn. Now, this is the corn they stole from our brothers and sisters over on Turtle Island. Um, so apologies to anyone offended by the use of the term Indian corn. I'm using it as a direct quote. I would not normally use that terminology. So the settlers had a sook and they decided that, that it's their land and their food and, and you know, stuff that Dudug had been farming there since the first sunrise, they're going to get annoyed and they're going to start doing things. So Dudug responded with um, raids that were so intense, and that's a quote, that the colony was concerned that Dudug would be a serious threat to them, which I don't know about you, but it sort of warms my heart a little bit um, that we were that deadly as warriors. The troopers had been ordered to kill any Darugiura and to hang their bodies up as a warning to others. So they've come here, they've stolen the land, they've destroyed parts of the land, they are stealing our children for slave labour and we're upset by all of this but they're righteous in being able to kill us. So this is sort of some stuff that is quite um, confronting and it was quite confronting to me. Uh, to read up on it and I've tweaked it a little bit so um, you don't have to be completely in that space. Um, all the fighting did was lead to the death of Darugiura and the colonisers alike and this included children. Now the troops were still chucking a tanty so they set up a garrison on the site and they posted themselves at farms to seek out and actively kill Darugiura. Our people were the first to use guerrilla warfare tactics in this frontier war. Daru Giyura responded, and I quote, with a sustained campaign of raiding that lasted until 1805 and included stealing corn, attacking farmhouses and using fire to destroy structures and crops. Now, for those of you who want to know a bit more about the battle and um, want to pay your respects there has been a memorial garden established at st john of god hospital in north richmond now um just google search you'll be able to find the address and you'll be able to go up and have a look and um there's been some artwork done there chris tobin has been involved in the um, design of this memorial so i highly recommend you mom go and have a look and while you're there have a think about the fact that we just refuse to hand over Nora to anybody. All right, we're going to flip it now. We've looked a little bit of the Battle of Richmond Hill, which happened between Darug, Yora, and the colonizers. And now we're going to look at the Battle of Vinegar Hill, also known as the Castle Hill Rebellion. 
and it holds the honour of being the first rebellion to be recorded in so-called Australia by whitefellas, okay? Battle of Richmond Hill, different story. This one is an, a rebellion that only just edged out the Rum Rebellion by four years as being the first. So this information comes from a culmination of Blacktown City Council and the National Museum of Australia. So this took place at Rouse Hill on the 5th of March, 1804. It was named the Battle of Vinegar Hill because the leaders of the convict gang, Philip Cunningham and William Johnston, were Irish and there'd been a similar battle in Ireland. The original battle started because the Irish were fed up with being treated so badly by their own invaders. Funny that, the British. However, in this battle in June 1798, it would end just as badly with the Irish losing um, mainly because they didn't have the advanced military tools like cannons at the time to win. Funnily enough, though, two of the leaders of the second Vinegar Hill, Cunningham and Johnston, were sent to Sydney for their roles in that fight. And then they end up leading the second Vinegar Hill fight. Now, all of these fellows who come across, these Irishmen have come across on the boat, they continue to build up the anti-British sentiment and stoke the rebellion fires um, as they made, you know, they made plans to, to get back to Ireland because they knew that there was going to be another rebellion. Now, a group of Irish convicts had legged it from the Castle Hill convict farm to go to Parramatta and they stole a whole pile of weapons as they, you know, went along the way to different farms. But they also encouraged other convicts as they saw them dotted around the farms to join them. They were headed towards Sydney. But by the time the troops caught up with them, there was like 250 convicts and they were heavily armed. Now, the convicts just wanted to go back to Ireland. They wanted to go back to their homeland. The troopers wanted to stop them. What makes it even worse was that not all the troopers had made it to the site of the initial skirmish. They were still travelling to the site. Some were just volunteers. Others were, you know, paid. But they were on their way. And martial law had been declared. The colony had gone, we need to stop these guys or our colony is doomed. So they call a, a truce and or a meeting to have a truce, I suppose you could say, and to press on these convicts that they should surrender. Now, Cunningham states death or liberty, which is the same catch cry from the original Vinegar Hill uprising in Ireland. And the troops then pulled out concealed weapons or pistols, if you want to call them that, to the heads of the convict leaders. Now, all the guys are standing on the hill and there's about 250 of them and they sort of are packing it because their leaders have been held at gunpoint. Now, the leader of the troops then ordered all of the newly arrived troops because they actually got the memo and arrived at that exact time for the, the truce meeting to fire at the convicts up on the hill. Now, in the end, around 40 convicts were killed and the rebellion stopped with nine men being hung the next day and Cunningham was one of them. Others were flogged, like, you know, um, old Sydney town fake flogging but real, you know, cat of nine tails, and or sent to mines in Newcastle because they were good at doing mines apparently, you know, then British. 
Now, if you want to know more about the Battle of Vinegar Hill as well, there is a memorial and it is at Rouse Hill, just up the road from Muru Midigar. All right, so coming up soon is February 14th. And for those of you romantics, it's about the Hallmark holiday. But for most mob, it's the day that Captain Cook effed around and found out. Shout out to our brothers and sisters in Hawaii where the date is celebrated as just that. Now, I had a look on a few websites, particularly one called The Big Smoke, to try and put everything together and succinctly as I could. So let me start. By the time Cook died, he had syphilis. And if you know about the long-term effects of syphilis, well, it can mess with your brain and impact your ability to make decisions, be quick to anger, and also have depression. On top of all of that, he had tuberculosis. Now, by the time Cookie arrived in Hawaii, it was the same year Darugiyura were invaded. Cook had come at a sacred time, so he was thought of as a god or a royal guest. Funny that, same, same with Philip when he got to our country. Now, typical Cook, he took advantage of this. And so did his crew, literally. Food, accommodation, women, I could go on. I'll leave it up to your imagination. However, it was becoming clear to the Hawaiians that that though these ones weren't who they said they were. You know, when a crew member died, it was obvious that they weren't gods. So Cook went, oh, crap, and hightailed it off the island. But a few days later, he came back because a storm had pushed them back towards Hawaii. Now, this time, they weren't as happily received. They were, for lack of a better word or, or words, were told, what a what a gunya. Now, Cookie had a sook. And he decided he was going to kidnap the king because that's all, that's all you know, that good white fellas do in, in those times is they kidnap people, you know. So don't come at me, Hawaiians, if I say this wrong, but the man's name was Kalani Oupuhu, the bargain. Now, they wanted to bargain the king for the boat that the Hawaiians had taken from the British because it was just there, you know. It's there. Okay, well. I'll just use it. Now, you've got to remember, he's got syphilis. He's making bad decisions. He is really, really bad. Now, modern-day syphilis, for those of you playing at home, can be um, treated very early on. But when it is left to continue and riddle, because it goes into your brain, and that's why, you know, you, you're quick to anger and all these other things happen in terms of your brain work. Because back then the only cure for it that was known at the time was mercury, which can also kill you, by the way, Cook hadn't taken it. So he was syphilitic and syphilis is a sexually transmitted disease. So if Cook was sleeping with First Nations everywhere or anybody, he was infecting them with syphilis. And then they'd go and infect someone and so on and so forth. So like those 80s ads that were talking about HIV. Now, the Hawaiians were not happy that Cook was trying to kidnap their king. I don't blame them. They stood staunch, these warriors, in defence of their king and all of Cook's crew crapped themselves and took off for the ship. 
A rock was thrown at first, which hit Cook in the head, I think, and or at least hit him somewhere, and within moments he was dead. Now, when the Hawaiians prepared his body as per the funeral rites, what they did was they removed his hands and they removed his ass. I don't know why. That's what they did. Now, he, they, the Hawaiians then gave those body parts back to the crew who went, oh, what the hell, where's the rest of him? And assumed, wrongly, that the Hawaiians had eaten Cook. Now, they hadn't done that. They'd cremated his body as per their funeral rites. But that didn't, you know, don't let the truth get in the way of a good lie. The Navy responded with killing 30 Hawaiians by cannon fire. That was their response. Now, this is where Cook then becomes this, this hero by Western standards. He was martyred by his peers, you know, and artwork showcasing his death saw his final act of paternalism cemented for posterity, indicating that he wanted his men to stop firing on the poor natives. So what that paternalism cemented for posterity means is paternalism is what a lot of the invaders use, you know, like British, when they came across us or any other First Nations, we were deemed um, childlike in, in a sense that we didn't have a civilization, we didn't practice religion, we didn't live in houses, we didn't have fences, we um, didn't wear clothes, you know, all of the things that the British identified as what made them British, they then went well, we need to save these fellas because they don't look like us. And Darwinism, which is where paternalism sort of stems off to later on, actually said that our brains were smaller and therefore we were dumber. But it sort of went backwards because, you know, people like Einstein had a smaller brain than normal and he was a genius. So their belief was that we had bigger heads but smaller brains all these other things. And so we needed to be protected from ourselves and everything else. And posterity means for all time. Now, Cook's death served as a reminder to not make friends with blackfellas. Now, the Big Smoke website actually says all animals, right? And when you turn your back, they stab you. All animals, us, mob, Hawaiians, First Nations, on Turtle Island, all animals, and when they turn their back, we stab them. Now, interestingly, the painter John Cleverly sketched exactly how Cook died. He was mates with Cook's brother, right? So he had inside information, but even he was still forced to change it to suit the martyr narrative because God forbid the truth be told. Maybe it's karma, but Cook deserved his fate. And if you're a Nam, or you go into Nam, I definitely am uh, tomorrow, you can see the bodiless statue of him at St Kilda. That was cut down on the eve of Invasion Day. Karma, love it. So the last bit today will be another Welcome to Country by Nondarug. But this time it's not actually about a welcome itself, but
But in the past few years, there have been some dual name signs on the south side of Durban, otherwise known as the Hawkesbury. Uh, next time you're around the Richmond, Windsor area, have a look at the welcome to country signs that are actually there. Now, I believe there is one at the turn off to Yadamundi Reserve. And I've had people actually mention to me before that it is a dual named sign of Darug and Darkenyung. I've seen it myself. Um, but again, the question is why? The signs that are stating this are only in Sydney. You know, we are expected to share our lands with other mobs. It would not happen on Barkindji country. It would not happen on Gomoroi country. It would not happen on Yorta country. would not happen up on Kukuyalanji country in Queensland. It would not happen anywhere else in this country that we call Australia, but it happens for us. Are we equally acknowledged on the other side of the river? The Darkenyong welcome to country signs, do they acknowledge us? If they don't, then why are we acknowledging them? And this is no disrespect to Dark and Young Mob. This is just to identify the fact that these dual naming signs have to stop. We have never ceded our sovereignty. We have never ceded our connection to country. Why are we sharing those sorts of signs? Now, the same thing happens in Campbelltown, Liverpool region. So you've got the Gabrigal and you've got the Murungong clans and they are being completely ignored, um, which is ridiculous. You know, it's getting to the point where uh, Thoroughwell Lands Council backflipped on acknowledging us as the traditional owners to um, not even acknowledging our presence at all and now just being Gundungara and Dutterwell, neither of whom are clans from that region. They may have come up for ceremony, for trade, that's fine. There is no argument there. But to then demand that we don't exist on anything and claim the land for another nation is reprehensible and a major violation of protocol. So if you see a sign or have a welcome to country at your work or at an event that you go to, call it out. Now, if you don't feel comfortable in doing that, I fully understand because currently at the moment there are people from the Campbelltown region who are doing exactly that. They are calling it out and they are getting harassed and bullied and intimidated and that is not on either. So if you want to stay anonymous and I, for your own benefit and your own safety, and I, I fully support that, if you want to stay anonymous for your own safety because you are in the community and you are easily identified, then share it with the following Facebook pages, the Gubbage Barter Durrawall story and the myth-busting cons in the southwestern Sydney region. Both of those Facebook pages will actually share it. There is a third and it's about the history of Gundungara country. Um, I will find it and I will share it with you next time. All right, so now I'm going to wrap it all up. I'd like to say Māori Dijurigura, many thanks for joining me about the truth and history of Darugnura. Next time we are going to dig even deeper into the history and the lung of Darugnura and we are definitely going to have to investigate yet another non-Darug welcome to country on Darugnura.
Nabawunya. See you soon. Yanu. Bye. Anyone Can Do a Welcome was written and presented by Anissa Jones. This podcast is an opinion on the history and current interactions on Darug Nora. Dijirigura Naragu.